Uh, and as a quick recap, if you've just joined us or if you're visiting us uh, this morning for the first time, we started out in week one by looking at the key theme of hope. Hope, that was the key theme of Advent week one. And we said that hope is something that we can have because when we are in Christ, we have a living hope with us. And we said that because of that, we can have hope for the past, that's God's faithfulness. We can have hope for the present, that's God's provision. And we can have hope for the future because that's God's power that is toward us in Christ. Uh, And then last week, we talked about the primary theme or the key theme of peace. And we said that biblical peace is not so much about the absence of problems, it's about the presence of someone. Biblical peace is not so much about the absence of something, some problem. It's about the presence of someone, that someone, of course, being Jesus. And we said that we're called to be peacemakers as Christians, you know, because we're, we're in the season between two Advents, right? The Advent, the first one of Christ's birth, and the second one, His return. And so while we're in the space in between, we have this calling to be peacemakers wherever we go. And we said that we can make peace by, who remembers the points from last week? I will be, you know what, as a, as a, as a preacher, as a pastor, when someone remembers your points from the previous week, you go home and you're feeling like, I've actually made something with my life. You know, you have this, you have this sense of, 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 of success and, and accomplishment. Can anyone remember any of the points from last week? It's okay, Jesus, I'm with you. You love me. You're with me. You're for me. We just sang the song, you're for me. But we said last week that we can make peace by preparing something, preparing something to share with other people, by praising someone namely Jesus, and then by persevering somewhere and committing to the call that He has for our lives. And so I hope that the series has been meaningful for you and that it's been encouraging uh, as we prepare for this and, and, and make space for this, this uh, Advent of Christ that we are celebrating. And so today, as we come to a close on the Advent series, the, uh, this will be the last uh, key theme before, of course, Christmas Day. We'll be focusing on the theme of love as it relates to the anticipated arrival of Jesus, the theme of love. You know, I'm pretty sure that if you were to stop and ask the everyday person that you meet or that you walk past on the street, what they think the central message of Christianity is, I'm pretty sure that somewhere in the definition they would reference the word love, right? Is that a, is that a fair assumption to make? What's the central message of Christianity? I'm pretty sure someone, or they, they would have somewhere in the definition the mention or the, or the reference to the word love, you know? Someone might say something like, I think the central idea of Christianity is that we should love one another. Simple answer. That would be a good one. Other people might say, I think the central idea or message of Christianity is that we should do unto others as we would have them done unto us. Correct. Yeah. Also, a good answer. Um, You might get an answer from someone who's um, still growing in his faith, and he might say something like, you know, the Bible says I mustn't be cross with my wife. You know, I mustn't be cross with her. And that would be true. Yes, we call to have mercy and love, right? And likewise, wives, you also ought to be loving towards your husbands and forgiving towards them, even if the clothes are still hanging on the line since August, you know? <laughs> My own personal grievances coming through there. <laughs> Kelly's like, you see. Um, but I wonder what people's answers would be if you asked them a second question as a follow-up to their answer. If love is the central message of Christianity, then how well do you love? What's the central message? It's love. Well, how well do you love? (laughs) That guy that mentioned the thing about the wife, maybe one of his friends would go, yeah, no, look, I've had five girlfriends in five months. I could buy a leaf. 
He could buy a leaf. No, no, not that kind of love. Not that kind of love. How, how well do you love others as Christ has loved you? If love is the central theme of Christianity, the, the, the primary ethic that we are all called to live by, then, then how are you doing in terms of the evidence of your love for others? How well do you love? How specifically could someone look at your life and identify the evidence of, of, of God's kind of love? What, what examples could you give where you loved others like God has loved you? Important question, right? Obviously, you know, love is a major theme. It's true. It's, it's not only a major theme of Advent, but it's a major theme of Christianity as a whole. Love is, in fact, who God is. That's what 1 John 4 tells us, right? There's a passage that literally says God is love. And so loving others is a massive part of what we are supposed to do as people. And, and, and how well are we doing? How well do we love? You know, this, 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 comes, this, this concept comes from what's known as the greatest commandment in Scripture. Anyone know where that is in the Bible? The greatest commandment, not, not the Ten Commandments, the greatest commandment. Someone said? 316, okay, we're getting there. I see your answer, I see your answer, we're getting there. But the greatest commandment comes from a passage in Mark chapter 12 in the New Testament. It's actually originally though from Deuteronomy 6, just give me one second their production, I love it when the guys are on it, they're beating the pastor to the points. <laughs> I like that. Um, but this, this, is, this commandment, known as the greatest commandments, is the summary of all the Ten Commandments. In that if you did this one, you would automatically do the others also. That's why it's called the greatest commandment. It's from a passage in Mark chapter 12, and we're going to get there in just a second. But the context of this passage that Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, we call that Palm Sunday, right? Remember, he comes in riding on the donkey, all this palm leaves on the floor. He goes into the temple, and I love this story. You know, he throws the, the tables over. It's like you see this angry Jesus. It's so cool. He, he, he tunes these people. He says, get out. You guys are making a mockery of worship. You're robbing people of the presence of God. And then the next day, he comes back into the temple and he's met with the experts of the law, like the main manner, you know, when it comes to uh, everything religious, I guess. And, and these, these guys seem, are the ones that seem to have it all together. And he gets, he gets asked this question. Uh, and this is what it says in Mark 12. That's the context of this verse. Uh, one of the scribes approached him uh, when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, the scribe asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Anyone know this verse? The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. This is where it comes from. This idea about why love is such a big idea. And Jesus actually is quoting a passage from Deuteronomy chapter six. This is, this is what it's referenced. Why am I doing Q&A this morning? But for another 20 heaven points, who knows what that prayer was called? That was a prayer that the Israelites used to pray and, and recite every morning. It's called the Shema. The Shema. <laughs> wow. Lord, we're going to get there. Come on, we're going to get there. But this, is, this was known as the Shema. This is what um, Israelites used to pray every morning, every, every morning. And it's in fact still recited by Jewish people today. It's a very powerful reminder of who God is, what He's calling us to do. Right? And this is where this concept of love being so central comes from. So we can clearly see, church, that it's a, it's a, it's a critical part of the Christian faith. 
This idea of loving one another. It's part of the message of the birth of Christ that we are celebrating in the season. And it's something that we are called to hold on to and celebrate every day. Does anyone else feel like they sh- that we should have more of God's love present in families, in government, in sports teams, in coffee shops, in manufacturing plants, right? It's important. So I think for us this morning, we have to have a fresh encounter of what that looks like. We have to have a fresh encounter with the love of God this morning that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints, as Ephesians 3 puts it, what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that, that surpasses knowledge. Because here's the thing, you know, just like those experts in the law, they might have an academic knowledge of God's kind of love. We might be able to quote some scripture. We might be able to come up with those answers to the question of, you know, what is the central message of Christianity? But I wonder how many people are living with not just an academic understanding, but a heart revelation of the love of God. That's where we want to go this morning. That's the, that's the critical point, isn't it? We have, to, we have to move from knowing about the love of God to experiencing the love of God in our hearts. And I think there's merit in during a season like Advent to, to, to focus on the receiving of God's love that is revealed through the person of Jesus. And once we have received it, to release the love of God that we have received with others. I think this is where our biggest growth step lies as a body of believers, church. I honestly think this is where our greatest testimonies lie and will lie next year. This is where our greatest miracles are gonna come from as a body. It's through the stepping into and the releasing of the love of God in this, in this space between the two advents, the birth of Christ and the return of Christ. I think this is where our greatest victories are gonna come from. And so my goal in sharing a message with you this morning on the massive topic of God's love is that you would not only have a renewed awareness of how much you are loved by God, but also that we would have a renewed awareness of the call we have to release and love others with the love of God in the same way. Amen. I want you to receive a revelation this morning, church, but I also want us to step into that question and begin answering how, how well are we doing on loving others in the same way? And so uh, someone mentioned it just now, but speaking of that of that uh, key theme of love. If we ask the question, I'm sure someone, like someone mentioned this morning, John 3.16 might even come up, right? In that, in that answer. And this is the key scripture for this week of Advent, amazingly. You know, I, I think it's appropriate to focus on the most central verse when it comes to this massive topic of, of God's love. And the full reading is John 3, verse 16 to 19. So we're gonna read it this morning uh, together with churches all across Africa and all across the world as we focus on what it means to, to love one another with God's kind of love. It says this, And you can, uh, I was going to ask you to repeat it, but it's on the screen. So sorry, you have to get some more heaven points another way. Another another question later, later in the sermon. It says this, John 3, 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. We have to believe in his name, right? We have to receive this invitation. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Big passage of scripture and it kind of frames it when you read the whole thing, right? 16 to 19. And 
John 3.16, I mean, I suppose that's just the most wonderful news to hold on to and share with others in this Advent season. For God loved the world in this way that He gave. He gave, God gave. And the purpose was so that everyone who believes in Him, that word everyone means everyone, will not perish but have eternal life. So what does the Bible mean, church, when it says that God so loved the world? Like, what kind of love is that? We ask the question, what is, what is the central message? And then how well are we doing? But what do we mean when we say God's, for God so loved the world. Like, how is it different to when we say, for example, I don't know, I love this medium rare fillet steak from Kitchen Windows restaurant. Now, how, how, do we, how, do we, how do we tell the difference? Did that analogy make anybody hungry? Like it made me hungry. Who feels like going to Kitchen Windows restaurant after the church and getting a medium rare fillet steak? But I, I think we'd have to come to some kind of definition, right? Or, or, or difference or distinction between what we say as Christians, what the Bible says when, when, when we say love and what the world might mean when it says love, right? Just to be clear that, that there is this distinction so we know where we should be aiming our lives. Because if we want to ask ourselves this question of how, how well are we doing, how do we measure up on loving others, well, then we should know what we mean when we say the word love, right? It's important. Otherwise, we might, we might miss the importance and, and the significance of this, of this call that we have to love others with, with, with the same love that we have received from God. So, so here's something interesting that I think is going to help us unpack this difference a little bit. And uh, if you were part of Grow Groups this year or in the group that, that I was in uh, during the year, you would have heard this, um, this uh, explanation before. So just say amen anyway. Um, but there are actually four, four words used in the Greek language to describe four types of love that we experience as people. The Greek, the, the, the Greek language was very, very helpful, yeah? Because, you know, us in English, we just say, I love the steak and I love my wife and I love Jesus. You know, it's hard to tell the difference. Okay, I mean, I wouldn't use that in the same sentence. Your wife might get very upset with you. But in the Greek, they have four different kinds of words, four, four different words used to, to help us describe what those words are. So can I do a quick little Instagram reel summary of what those are? And then I'm gonna give us what I think is one of the best examples in all of Scripture, of what it means to love one another with God's kind of love. Is that, is that okay? Are you with me this morning, church? The first kind of love that we have in the New Testament in the Greek that helps us define this difference is the word eros. Eros. Well, so what does that mean? What does the word eros mean? Eros means romantic love or sensual love, right? It's typically a love that exists between a husband and a wife in marriage. A husband and a wife in marriage. Marriage. Sorry, did I stutter there? <clears throat> Repetition for the sake of effect. Um, this, this word, it's, it's, it's not used um, explicitly in the New Testament, but it's clearly referenced in passages like 1 Corinthians 7, Hebrews 13. There's references to and, and explanations to this kind of love in those passages. And of course, Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, which is also a book you should read with your husband or wife. So that is eros, right? Romantic love. The second kind of love the second definition of love in the Greek that we understand is, 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 uh, is the word phileo. I'm practicing my Greek here. Phileo. This, this means warm affection or friendship. This is, what, this is what this word means. It's typically used to describe brotherly or sisterly affection towards one another. It's my chomi, you know? Phileo. I have phileo for him. It's, uh, it's the warm affection we feel for one another. It's this, this word appears in verses like Proverbs 17. It's not on the screen. It says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. That's phileo. That's what it's talking about. Uh, John 11, when, um, 
when Jesus and Lazarus, right? That story, Jesus raises Lazarus, uh, Lazarus from the dead. The two sisters send a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. That's phileo. That's what it's talking about. This, this love that we have between friends. Thirdly, the third kind of love, which is kind of related to phileo, is the word storge. Storge. There it is. Not storge. That would be very Eastern Cape um, pronunciation. Storge. Storge. It's similar to phileo in the sense that it also exists between people, but it relates more to the type of love that exists in a family. So it's a bit more of a nurturing kind of love, you know, like the love that a mom has for her kids or that kids have for their parents. It's this kind of protective love. Mary and, and Martha in that same passage, they, they displayed that kind of love by, by, by caring deeply for their brother Lazarus. It's that kind of family, nurturing, protective love. That's storge. And then finally, we have the highest form of love, the purest form of love, which is defined by the Greek word agape, agape. This refers to God's love for us. This, this speaks about God's immeasurable and incomparable love for humanity. This is a love that was willing to suffer for us, endure the most difficult odds without succumbing to them. This, this kind of love doesn't need the chemistry of eros or the commonality of phileo or storge. It's those and the divine love that God has for mankind. It's all of them. This is the definition of the way that we've been talking about in John 3.16. For God so agape the world that he gave. You see the connection there. So kind of helps paint the picture for us, doesn't it? What we mean when we say, how well are we loving others? And here's, here's, the, here's the question then that, 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 this, that this distinction leaves us with. In thinking about the love that we have received from God, the agape that we have received from God, and how we are called to release that to others in this season of preparation, how do we do that? <laughs> how do we do that? How do we love like God has loved us? How do we measure it? What is the evidence? What would it look like? We know that we should, that we have this call we know that we have received it, but how do we do that? By the word that, uh, sorry, uh, by the way, that word um, agape in that verse, uh, John three sixteen means to actively do what the Lord prefers. I love that. For God so agape the world, to love in that sense is to actively do what the Lord prefers. So what does that look like, church? How can we walk away from the service this morning into our environments at home and into the rest of the week and into the rest of the working year, if you're still working, God bless your soul. But how do we do that? How do we love one another as Christ has, has loved us? Well, in preparation for the message this morning, I, I really ask God to show me from Scripture um, a clear example of what loving others looks like in a practical way, you know, to help me with my weak human brain. And it was almost instantaneous, this thought that just came to me. It was the parable of the Good Samaritan. I was like, Lord, show me, show me an example in Scripture. How do we, how do, we do this? Like, like, give me some practical help here. Like, how do, we, how do we love one another like you have loved me? I mean, you know, I'm not the Savior. Like, I'm not going to the cross. Like, help me. And instantly, this, this thought just dropped in my mind. The Good Samaritan. Think about the Good Samaritan. Is that not one of the best examples in all of Scripture of what it means to love one another, to release this selfless, sacrificial faithful, all-encompassing love that God has given to us. It surely must be one of the ultimate examples of God's love in action. And so, friends, this morning, it's a, 
It'll be a slightly different message, I guess, in that I'd like to read us the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan as the main part of today's message. And then from that, I wanna just share a few thoughts with you as we go through it together with the hope of, you know, you feeling inspired to renew your heart with the love that God has for you and also to love one another with this love that we have received also. So is that okay? It's a slightly different uh, kind of theme this morning and approach, I guess, but I really did feel prompted on my heart to just read this parable with us and for us and draw a couple of points and hopefully we connect with something in these incredible words, this, this life-changing example that we have from Scripture of what it means to love one another in this way. Does that sound okay? Are you with me? All right, let's go. Luke chapter 10. And uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, you're welcome to, um, to jot down a couple of thoughts, but I really am going to go through this a little bit slower, slower than normal, I guess, and this will be the sort of main, main part of today's message. But the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. By the way, just before we get to the scripture, um, who knows what the purpose of telling parables were? Like, why did Jesus tell parables? Was it to confuse us? No. Right? It wasn't to confuse. It wasn't to make it seem like you know this was some uh, you know unapproachable truth and something that we could never attain. No, he told these parables primarily to reveal to us the kingdom that is now in him. He's talking about himself. Right? At the very deeper level, these are like layers of an onion almost. You can peel them back, and as you peel back the peel back the layers, you'll find Christ there. This message about him. And so in this parable of the Good Samaritan, think about that when you read these words and what the message is that Jesus is trying to convey uh, through this story that has this deeper, deeper meaning to it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. This is where we find the story. It says this, Then an expert in the law, again, these are people that seem to have it all together, right? That seem to look like they can recite John 3.16 that seem to know the answer to the question, what is the message of love? You guys see where I'm going? An expert in the law stood up to test him. Bad idea. <laughs> Don't test Jesus. It's not gonna end well for you. But this expert stood up to test him saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So just pause there for a moment. What is he asking? What is he asking? He's saying, Lord, what is the measure? What is the task? What is the activity that I should perform to inherit eternal life? Is there something I can do to earn your love? Park that thought. Jesus, typically, doesn't always answer the question with an answer. He asks another question. Brilliant. He says, what is written in the law? expert of the law, you should know. Uh, how do you read it? So he answered, this expert answered, Lord, uh, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we just read, right? That's where it comes from. This is the Shema. This is the, the greatest commandment. So Jesus says, you've answered correctly. He told him, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, Pause there for a moment. Why would you, what, what, what in Jesus' answer would, would want to make this expert of the law justify himself? What do you think? What, why, did he, why, does, why does the scripture say that? And remember, he asked him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, What's written in your law? He gives him the answer. This guy looks at that answer and goes, That's really difficult. 
Because neighbor in that sense, in, in that time, didn't mean anyone. It meant someone that was near to me, like someone that lived two houses away. So he's going, hmm, this seems like a bit of a far-fetched story. Like, how do, we, how do we accomplish this? This is part of the reason why I asked the question for us this morning. And so he wants to just, he wants to narrow the definition of love down to something that he thinks he can fulfill. And so wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, now you know he's going to use this parable, and this is the context for the parable of the Good Samaritan Church. And I'm going to read this for us, and I want us to focus on these words with that backdrop being said. Look at how brilliant this answer is. A man was going down from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Now just pause there for a bit. Remember I said parables are like the layers of an onion, right? You peel them back and as you keep peeling back, you discover a new layer, a new meaning, a new truth to them. What do you think a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers means? What could that symbolize? What could that represent? And I see all my friends that were in the grow group this year smiling because they know the answer to this question. We talked about it during the year. But isn't that all of us? What does Jerusalem represent? It's God's city. It's the place where he dwells. It's the holy land. And what does Jericho represent? The broken city, right? You march around Jericho seven times and the walls come tumbling down. It's the city of sin. And so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. (laughs) That's all of us. That's the picture of fallen mankind. And he fell into the hands of robbers. What's that? Well, that's sin. What does sin do? It robs you of the presence, the Jerusalem of God. And it wants to take you to the city of captivity, the city of Jericho. And this man fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, fled, leaving him half dead. Anyone battled with the pain of your own conscience when you've made a mistake? You feel beaten up, don't you? You have the sense of, I'm stripped of my dignity. I've, I've messed up. Now, a priest happened to be going down that road. What is that representative of? Broken religion. Compromised religion. The kind of religion that says, I know the answer to the question, what is the central message of Christianity? I know the answer to what is the most famous verse in the Bible, but I'm not living it out very well, am I? (laughs) Why was the priest going down the same road? It's a picture of fallen religion, brokenness in mankind, this kind of Christianity, I guess, where we profess one thing, but our hearts believe something completely different. When he saw him, he passed by the other side. That kind of relationship or religion is never enough to save you. That broken system that we have of trying to earn God's love, what can I do to inherit eternal life, will never save you. It can't. It can't. It doesn't have the strength. A Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw this man that was beaten up, lost, trapped in sin, also passed by the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. What's the significance of the Samaritan in this story? 
Why, why a Samaritan? Well, some of us will probably know the context of the New Testament. Samaritans and Jews, oil and water, right? They just do not mix. According to the Jews, the Samaritans were like a half-bred race. They were like, you know, disconnected, discarded. You don't mix with them. You don't talk to them. You don't look at them. They're, they cannot be included in, the, in God's plan of salvation, right? And so isn't it amazing? <laughs> a Samaritan on his journey. Who's that a picture of? Christ. <laughs> when he saw you and me beaten up, from sin, fallen from the place that we should be. He had compassion. Christ went over to him. He meant went over to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. What is that symb- uh, um, symbolic of? It's communion. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? He put him on his own animal, brought him to the inn. Where's the inn? You're sitting in it. The church. The church is the place of God's chosen vehicle to care for those that have been caught in sin. Please don't ever think that you have to clean up your act before you come to church. No, we'll find you wherever you are and we'll bring you in because we know this is the call that Jesus has on us. You take sick people to the inn. You bring them to the church. This is the place where you find healing. Can you say amen to that, Father Zosjave? He brought him and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is two days wages, basically. He gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And which of these, then Jesus asks this expert in the law, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Friends, the, the central message of love in Christianity, this key verse that we read, John 3.16, is not something intended for us to keep in academic head knowledge. It's intended for us to live out with heart revelation. And how do we do that? How do we do that? We live as Christ did. We love the forgettable. We love the people that the world says you shouldn't touch. We invite someone into the inn to receive healing. We, we don't work for God's love like he owes us something. You know, we don't get into credit with God because of what we can do. It cost him too much to give it, right? It's like saying, you know, um, could I please work for you to buy this 500 billion rand home? And the owner's like, cool, I'll give you 10 grand a month. You are never going to be able to work back the cost of that home. It's going to take you, I don't know, who's the mathematicians here? 50,000 years. It's too expensive, right? What can I do to inherit eternal life? It's impossible to obtain that in our own strength. You see, it points us to the need for a savior. Because now Jesus is saying, that house is yours. Eternal life, Love and all its fullness is yours in and through Christ. And so instead of asking the question, what do I have to do for you, Lord? Now the question is, Lord, what may I do for you? We're not working for love. We are working from love. And this is how, this is how we carry the message 
of love this Advent season to the world that is so broken, that is so desperately in need of it. You already have everything you need in and through Christ. He's given you the home. He's given you eternal life. And the call that we have as his followers, church, is to, is to bring someone in. Is to bring someone in, to say, hey, let me tell you about the love that, that, that came from Christ, from the one who found me on the road and that made me whole again. We're not working from love. We're, we're not working for love. We're working from it. And um, I guess Romans 4 verses 4 to 5 is one of my favorite verses when it comes to summarizing this topic. And I'll close with this verse, church, before we pray. It says this, Now to the one who works, trying to earn the house, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. Your wages, it's not something, it's not a gift. You, you are owed those wages. But to the one who does not work, in other words, the one who freely receives what God has given you, believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Man, that is so powerful. There's nothing we could do to earn God's love. It was freely given to us in Jesus. And the call this morning, church, is to take that revelation, that heart revelation that we've received of the love of Christ that paid everything that we could be made whole again and share that with someone else, not as a way of getting right with God, but because they are already right with God in Christ. Can you say amen to that this morning? Would you stand with me, church, as we, as we close in a word of prayer? And I am mindful of the time. I, I know that um, it goes by very quickly for me. I hope it goes by quickly for you. I have this thing that says I've got two minutes left and I'm like, oh, the saints need to go home and eat. Otherwise, they'll just walk out. So I'm finishing the message. But um, I wanted to save at least two minutes so I could close for us in a word of prayer today and specifically pray into this concept of the love of God. It's a really big one, isn't it? And um, I think it's one that we could spend all year talk, talking about and we'd never get to the end to because you would, or end of, because you'll never get to the end of God's love. It's immeasurable. It's, it's uncontrollable. It's uncontainable. It's freely devoted to you when we couldn't do anything to receive it. But I hope that something in His Word or in that parable of the Good Samaritan sparked something in you to firstly realize what you have received in Him and then feel the call to go and live like that, to go and find someone. <laughs> Bring them in. Bring them in. Show them compassion. That person, it says nothing about what He gave back to the Samaritan. Nothing at all. And isn't that what God's kind of love looks like? It's giving and not expecting anything in return. Oh, that's hard. But we do that. We do that because of what we have received in Christ. That's our strength. The love of God itself enables us to love others. Amen. So Father, thank you so much for the power of your love. Lord, you rescued us. Your word says, while we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. You have welcomed us in. You bandaged up our wounds. You made us whole. We have received the fullness of your love, Father. And Lord, we pray as a church that, that you would give us courage, you'd give us wisdom, you'd give us a reminder of that love that we have received to go and do the same. Not because we feel obligated to or that we have to, to earn something from you, but because we have already received everything from you. Father, that house is ours. We you, you, you've made our hearts your dwelling place. We are with you. 
Our eternity is secure. We have every reason to love fearlessly, to love sacrificially, to, to go into those places where it seems like no one else is willing to go, but because your love is with us, Father, we will go. We will go. And we thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave us. You will never forsake us. And church, just in, um, in this moment of thinking about and reflecting on God's love for us, um, like I shared last week as well at the end of the service, I also, again, this morning, feel prompted to pray for someone, whether you're here or whether you're listening online or whether it's someone that you know in your family or in your friendship circle who hasn't yet received that love of God. We talk about it. You might even be able to quote the verse. You know the, first, the, the answer to the first question, but it hasn't, it hasn't become your own personal revelation in your heart yet. It hasn't become your truth. You haven't yet said yes to Christ. It's a free invitation, but we have to receive it, right? I wanna, I wanna, I wanna pray for you this morning. And if that's you, if you haven't yet said yes to receiving the love of God, I'm not gonna embarrass anybody in any way, but I do want you to take an action of some kind just to acknowledge it, just by raising your hand long enough for me to see it and then you can put it down again. Just say, you know what, Lord, that's me. Uh, this is my day. I've heard about Christ. I've been around church and God, but I haven't yet made that personal commitment. Or if it's someone that you know, church, why don't you just bring that name before God this morning? Maybe you've been praying for someone for years. I heard a story from someone last week that came out to you after the service and said they were praying for, for I think it was their husband, for four years. Four years. And he's received Christ. And maybe maybe there's someone that you know this morning. Just bear that name before them. And um, if you raised your hand this morning, we are so thankful that you've done that. And I just want to pray this prayer. It's a very simple prayer. And church, if you wouldn't mind praying this with me, just as a way of supporting them or the people that we're thinking about, just to say yes to the invitation of God's love. It's like all of heaven is waiting to rush into you <laughs> and make you whole, bandage your wounds. The Samaritan is there. And we just say yes to him. So on the count of three, would you mind just repeating these words after me? And we're gonna pray and and thank God for this wonderful gift. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning that you love me. Even when I couldn't do anything for you, you gave it all for me. Lord Jesus, this morning I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. Make me whole. Make me new. I receive your invitation. Holy Spirit, help me live this out the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we give God one more shout of praise and worship and thanksgiving this morning? Adoration. It really has been an honor spending the time with you. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, no church next week, the 24th, but there will be a Christmas Day service on Monday, the 25th. Please come and join us. Invite a family member, invite a friend. Look forward to seeing you there. If you'd like personal prayer, please come forward up front. I'll be here to have a conversation with you. Otherwise, great coffee at the coffee shop. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you soon. God bless everyone.